Good morning, everyone. I just want to say thank you very much, Mark and Cheryl, for having me. It's just such a privilege and an honor for me to be able to share with Faith Life Cambridge and hopefully Norwich as well. Um, thank you very much. And I trust that the word that the Lord has laid on my heart will bless you and speak to everyone's hearts. Shall we just pray, please? Father, I just thank you so much that you love us and that you care for us. I ask, Lord, that you help me and you give me utterance and that I will speak what you want me to say. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got a title to my message. I don't generally give titles because then I never use it. But this one I think is important. And the title of my message is, Don't Throw in the Towel, Throw in the Tree. And the Lord gave me this title at the beginning of the year. And he said to me, don't throw in the towel, throw in the tree. And I said, and he, then he said, make it a mantra, Lenise. And I thought, what? A mantra? Is that not an Eastern religion uh, or something, you know? And I had to go and look it up and see what it actually means. And I researched it and I found that a mantra in English language means a word or a phrase that is repeated often and expresses someone's basic belief. So your basic belief is revealed actually when you are in difficulty, when you have a trial or a tribulation or whatever you are facing, that is when your basic belief actually comes forward. What is really on the inside of you? And many people think, well, you know, I'm a really good Christian and I'm doing everything that I ought to do and all things that are expected from a good Christian and then I won't have any trials or tribulations if I'm just a good girl or a good boy all the time. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, and I'm reading from the Amplified in the classic version, and it says, I have told you these things so that in me, not in the world, not in your friend, not in your partner, not in whoever your business partner, your husband or your wife, so that in me, you may have perfect peace and confidence. To me, that's so wonderful. That peace that surpasses all understanding, that peace that is all encompassing and where you know that he is taking care of everything. That is the kind of peace that Jesus has given us. He says, in the world you will have tribulation, trial and distress and frustration, but don't you like the Lord's buts? I love the Lord's buts. But, he says, be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you, and I have conquered it for you. Hallelujah. To me, that's just such good news. Doesn't matter what you face. It doesn't matter who you can run to, there is one place that we can go to, and that is to him. 
the giver of all peace, the one who said, I bequeath my peace unto you. I give it unto you. It's part of your inheritance. Now, sometimes when we go through difficult circumstances, my goodness, it can be extremely daunting. And it's very real. It exists. It's real and it can be very, very daunting. And the Lord led me to this scripture, and it's in, uh, actually in Exodus 15 from verse 22. And we see here that Israel, they, they were enslaved in Egypt. They came, Moses came along and he said, God has spoken to me and I'm going to be your deliverer. He is the great I am. And they, he convinced them who he was, who God was, that God has now finally heard their moaning and their, their groaning under the heavy yoke of Israel, of, of the Egyptians. And um, they faced a tremendous trial. They saw the plagues. They were protected by the blood. Eventually they left and here they are in front of the sea. And Moses comes and he, he cries out to God. God says, I will show you the deliverance today. And you know what? The breath of God just blows open the sea. And they've got a path in the middle of the Red Sea. And they pass through. And here comes the Egyptians. But whilst the wind was blowing, the pillar of cloud was behind them. Is it not amazing that I want to show you today that when you are in a trial, God is in front of you and he is behind you like he was with them. And they went through on dry ground. And when they came to the other side, the Egyptians followed them, but they never reached the other side. They drowned. All of them drowned. Horses, chariots went down under the water. All of them drowned and Israel rejoiced and they were praising and they were worshiping God and they were having a great time. And then they left there and they, I am sure if you see in Exodus 15 verse 22, Moses led Israel from the Red Sea into the desert of Shur. Can you imagine how much talk there was about them, about what happened, how excited they were? They finally going to have freedom. They were talking about their new houses that they're going to live in, the nice food that they're going to eat, that they're not going to work. They're not going to have slave masters. I can just imagine that they were discussing these things. And I'm convinced that they had a great expectation of good. They didn't expect a trial of any kind. They didn't expect any kind of suffering. But in the desert of Shur, they have now traveled for three days without finding water. And they were now very thirsty. Kids were crying. Everybody was crying. I can just imagine. Can you imagine a, a few hundred thousand people? I don't know exactly how many they were at that time. Sometimes six million. I don't know how many they were. But they were all thirsty. And they were all complaining. And they were all moaning at Moses. Poor man. I felt sorry for him. Then eventually they found water 
I'm sure they couldn't wait to go and quench their thirst. But then the water of Mara was bitter. And they couldn't drink it. It was completely unsuitable to drink for both man and animal and children. Nobody, nobody, nothing could drink it. I've just painted you a picture of a real trial. I wanted you to not only see their rebellion, I also wanted you to see that they had an expectation of good and the trial came along. And sometimes that is exactly where we are. We hear about God, we hear about his goodness, we hear everything that he's promised us and we have such an expectation of good. And then the next thing, we face a tremendous trial and very often it's daunting and we don't understand what happened. And that is really when the rubber hits the road. What is your response going to be? Israel's response was to grumble against Moses and ultimately against God. But I want to show you God's heart. I want to show you his love and his attitude. When Moses cried out to the Lord, he said, Lord, what am I going to do with these people? We don't have water. The Lord showed him a tree. And he cast the tree into the waters. And immediately the waters were made sweet. Can you imagine these thirsty thousands of people? Maybe they were careful, maybe they were suspicious, but when they tasted the sweet water, how refreshing that might have been. How wonderful that might have been. And I want to tell you, the tree represents the finished work of Christ. The tree shows you Jesus. The tree shows you what he has done. And if we can take the tree and we make it a mantra and we say, I'm not going to throw in the towel, but I'm throwing in the tree. I'm throwing in what he has done into the circumstances, into the midst of the circumstances. Do you know what? It might not happen immediately like it did for Israel, but I promise you turbulent waters will become calm. Turbulent, bitter waters will become sweet. Hard disappointment will leave because you have focused on the tree and what he has done for you. And you see, this is what your father wants for you. He wants to show you the tree in every situation that you go through, in every circumstance he wants to tell you, there's a tree. Are you gonna throw it in? What are you going to do? You see, how do you throw in the tree? You call on your father. And I want to tell you, in his love, even a grunt, even a sigh, even a cry, he hears it. He, he loves you. He cares about you. He's attentive to your needs because he loves you. And he called you to intimate fellowship with him. You know, when Jesus came, he did not reveal him as God. He revealed him as Father. Father. 
because that's what he made you. He made you a kid of God. He made you a child of God. He appointed you as a mature son of God, qualified to receive his inheritance. You don't have to qualify yourself. He has qualified you to receive his inheritance. And he says in Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6, he says, <clears throat> he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. That word helper in the Greek is not the same word as the helper of the Holy Spirit. It's not the same word as the parakletos. This word in Greek is the Greek word boyathos. And it means the one coming running when you cry for help. Isn't that amazing? The one coming running when you cry for help. It reminds me of Luke 15. When the prodigal son came home, he didn't even cry yet. He was just thinking of his father. He was thinking of what he was going to tell him. And what did the father do? He picked up his robe <laughs> and he started running. And when he embraced this prodigal kid, he didn't give him an opportunity to say everything that he had planned to say to his father. Oh no, he was kissing him. He was embracing him. He was holding him. He was his helper. And in the meantime, he said, get ready the calf. We're going to have a feast. Do you know that's your father? I want you to have this picture of your father in your heart. He is the one coming, running when you cry for help. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a way to throw in the tree? And when you cry for help, in that embrace, he, he imparts to you his wisdom. And you know, when he imparts his wisdom to you, he does it without reproach, it says in James 1. He doesn't give you wisdom. He never says, oh, well, I told you so. So what are you going to do about it now? He's not, no, it, he's not like that. Absolutely not. He gives it without reproach. He gives it without saying a word that you are actually responsible for it. He, he does that. He doesn't say, oh, you know, my word says, and you should have done it, you should have done it, you should have. He's not. He's a loving father because you know what? If he was like that, I wouldn't ask him for wisdom because I don't want to rebuke. Do you want to rebuke? No. Oh, my goodness. He's reconciled you to himself and he embraces you. And he wants to give you his wisdom freely and graciously. And then he walks with you and he carries you and he takes you and he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Come and walk with me because we have a tree. You see, he is fully satisfied with the work that Jesus did on the tree. 
He's satisfied with it. He accepts it. It is wonderful to him. He says, the work that my son did is a finished work and it is good enough for everyone. It covers everything. All I want you to do is come to me. Whoever shall believe on him shall not perish, perish ever. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that absolutely wonderful? But you know, sometimes, and I'm sure I was there, I'm sure some of you are there, but anyway, maybe you're much better than me, but maybe this is for you as well. If we find ourselves in a trial and a tribulation, don't try and figure out what is wrong with you. Because that's what we often do. We think that the reason for the trial and the reason for the tribulation is because we are not good enough. We are not a good enough Christian. We are not, we don't have enough faith. We, we, uh, we doubt who we are. We completely forget that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We completely forget that we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We completely forget that we now look like him. I'm not saying we act like him. I'm saying we are like him. And sometimes we don't act like him. But you know, there's, there's, there's no reason to examine yourself. Because if you examine yourself to find out what is wrong with you, you actually don't believe that he has perfected you in Christ Jesus. It's not what is wrong with you. You're in a trial, my goodness. It's all about getting to him, let, running, let him run to you, grabbing hold of him, taking hold of him, let him embrace you and let him lead you out of the trial by his wisdom and by his grace. That's throwing in the tree. Hallelujah. But you see, the fact that you really don't act like Jesus or the, or the fact that you don't act like you should, and I'm sure all of us do that from one or other, at one or other stage. I mean, look, there is no one perfect in himself. We are perfect in Christ. We are righteous in him. So it's really not... You know, he's not looking at you in that way. He's not looking at you like you want to look at yourself. You need to see yourself like he sees you. He sees you as valuable. He sees you as precious. He sees you as washed in the blood of Jesus. He sees you as reconciled unto him. He sees you as his beloved child who received Jesus. Don't try and find out what is wrong with you. Because you know what? You are in the vine. You're a branch in the vine. Don't cut yourself off from the vine and think you're going to produce. Have you ever seen? You know what you are supposed to do? You're a branch. Do you know where fruit grows? It grows on the branch. 
where does it where does the nourishment come from it comes from the root it comes from the vine and that's all you have to do you have to remain a branch don't cut yourself off and go to the fig tree you're not supposed to go to the fig tree because the fig tree presents and represents self-righteousness Jesus went to the fig tree. The fig tree looked beautiful. It looked as if it was supposed to have fruit. And he was hungry and he found none. And he cursed the tree. And he said, no one will ever eat fruit from you ever again. He cut off self-righteous acts. Self-righteousness will not produce a spiritual result you cannot produce spiritual results and the and the and and the solving of your trial you cannot produce it on your own you need to be in the vine because it's from that vine that you are nourished it is from that vine that you are fed it is from that vine that his life flows in you and you can just be a branch and bear fruit you're not responsible for the fruit. It is remaining in him. It is hearing him. It is listening to him that produces that fruit, that, 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 that will take you to that place where you actually come through your trial in victory, where you actually see what he has done for you. So let's not examine ourselves to try and see how we can improve because you can't you see jesus did not come to make good people better he did not come to make bad people good he came to make dead people alive because we were all dead and now we are alive in him isn't that amazing isn't that just wonderful what has been accomplished at this tree i hope that as you listen to me that whatever you are facing that you will feel a life stirring on the inside of you because that is the tree of life that is what is in you that is the vine my goodness me you have his life in you and I trust that that life will begin to bubble up in you and it will begin to encourage you and it will make you see him for who he really, really is. Your father wants to show you the tree. So in every circumstance, throw in the tree when you feel condemned. Because Romans 8 verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Who can accuse you? If he justified you, who can accuse you? If he died for you and gave you his life, and with that life he gave you all other things, what, what else can you need? Throw in the tree when you are accused. Who can bring an accusation against you? Your righteousness is from him, not from yourself. 
So who can accuse you? Who can bring an accusation to you that says you're not good enough? You haven't, you haven't cut it. You're just not good enough. Don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. Do you know what that is? It is Satan throwing a curveball at you. Because he would love to deceive you and draw your focus away from what Jesus has done for you and put your focus on yourself. When your focus is on yourself, you are in self-examination. And you know where it will lead you? It will lead you to throwing the towel. It will lead you to want to quit and just give up and just think, oh, well, it's not working. I love to preach about Jesus because he's everything to me. He took my life and he made something of it. Isn't that wonderful? I'm sure he did that for you as well. He says, in all these things that happen in the world, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able. No pandemic, no virus, no government shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's not become skeptical and bitter. Don't measure God's goodness against your experience. Don't ever throw in the towel, but in every situation you face, throw in the tree. Because it's enough. It's finished. It is enough. And the end of it says, my grace is sufficient for you. For when I am weak, you are strong in me. Hallelujah. His grace is undeserved, unmerited favor. You can never earn it. So the question is, how much grace do you want? Not how much do you need? How much do you want? Do you want to do a little bit and then what you can't do, he must fulfill? No. I want all of him. I want all that he can give me because I can do nothing. I cannot produce anything of value in my life. Make it a mantra unto yourself. Remind yourself, I throw in the tree. I throw in the tree. When you get offended at someone and you're angry and you think, and you think, well, you know, I'm, I'm really unhappy about that and I just don't like what they said. How long do you want to keep it? How, do you, how long do you actually want to think about it? No, don't give it a second. Just say, 
I throw in the tree, I forgive them, I release them, Father, I thank you that you love me, that you've accepted me, I, I thank you for your wisdom, I thank you for your, oh, Father, I thank you that nothing can separate me from the love, I pray for that person, I bless them, I thank you that you take care of that situation. You throw in the tree. Go wait. Throw in the tree. You see, Jesus is our living bread. We feed on him. In Exodus 16, the whole of the Israelite community now, after the waters of Mara, they went to Elam and there were oases and there were palm trees and they camped there and they rested there. And then the whole community set out from Elam and they came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And this was exactly 10 weeks after leaving Egypt. And then this time they weren't thirsty, they were hungry. And they complained and they grumbled. And the children of Israel said to Moses, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Now we look at that and we think, huh, what an accusation is that? My goodness me. Don't look at it like that. Because you know what? You just might fall into that trap. <laughs> no. They were hungry. It was real. It was their reaction. They didn't actually believe in the goodness of their father. They did not remind themselves of the tree that Moses threw into the waters. They did not remind themselves how God had set them free, how he opened the Red Sea, how he brought them through, how he protected them when all the firstborn of Egypt died and he gave them the blood of the lamb as a protection. Let's not forget to remind ourselves what he has done for us. Let's not forget to partake of his living bread. You see, when the Israelites complained like this in Exodus 16 verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Moses said, And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. And I just thought about that and I thought, isn't that a wonderful scripture? You shall see the glory of the Lord. The manna was, when they woke up the next morning, the whole area that they could see where they were camped was full of white flakes, if you can call it that, manna. It was heavenly bread that was given to them. And this heavenly bread was a type of the living bread. Alleluia. The type and the shadow was a miracle that they got every single morning of their lives. But we don't have the manna. Oh, we have the bread 
the living bread from heaven. Isn't that amazing? The living bread from heaven. Jesus said, I will, uh, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Jesus came down from heaven, stripped himself of all his rights and privileges of being equal with God, and came in the guise of sinful flesh, flesh to die for us. Do you want to bring him glory? We all want to bring him glory. We all have different ideas of how we can bring him glory. We think we can bring him glory by being good. We think we can bring him glory by this. We can think we can bring him glory by that. But I want to show you what Jesus said about how we are going to bring him glory. And this is in John 17, verse 8. And I'm reading from the Amplified Classic Version. For the uttered words, this was a prayer that Jesus prayed, for the uttered words that you gave me, I have given them, and they have received and accepted them, and have come to know positively and in reality to believe with absolute assurance that I came forth from your presence, and they have believed and are convinced that you sent me. All things that are mine are yours, and all things that are yours belong to me. And I am glorified through them. They have done me honor, and in them my glory is achieved. Those who believed and accepted his words brought glory to him. When you believe and accept what he has done on the cross, it brings him glory. Do you want to bring him glory? Focus on what he's done. Believe it, accept it, throw in the tree in every situation. You bring him glory. You see, it's no longer about you. Or me. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I can just imagine the Holy Spirit quickened this to me. When Jesus said this in John 6, he said, I'm the bread I can see him beat on his breast saying, I am the bread of life. Here I am, the bread of life. I'm the living bread. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. When we partake of communion, that night when Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And it was like a prophecy. And he said to the disciples and the, the 12 that was with him, this 
is my body, which is broken for you. This is the living bread. In his body, he carried our transgressions. He carried our sins so that we can die to sin and live unto righteousness. By whose stripes we were healed. When you partake of communion, I want you to imagine Jesus is passing you living bread. I want you to receive it as Jesus is saying, this is my body here, eat it. Psalm 23 says he's prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. But you know what? They're not allowed to sit down. Only you can sit down with a master, with the one who is the living bread. And he imparts to you. When you spend time with him, when you spend time in his word about the gospel, you are feeding on living bread. Another way of throwing in the tree is partaking of communion. But when you partake of communion, it is not a ritual. It is not something that we do every Sunday. It's not something that we do every meeting. It is really a time of intimacy and fellowship with the one who gave his life for you. He is the living bread. And when you take that bread, you're taking it out of his hand. When you take that cup, you're taking it out of his hand because it's his blood, the ratification, the power of the new covenant in his blood you are set free hallelujah i pray and i trust that you are encouraged by this message i pray that you really see jesus for who he is and what he has done for you and allow holy spirit to quicken your mortal body to make you alive that when you close your eyes that naturally from your innermost being flows praise and worship to the only one who is worthy Thank you very much. And I'm going to pass to Mark to serve the communion to you. Be blessed in Jesus. Amen.